Morning, church. So glad you're here today. Let's begin with a unique illustration. Let's suppose that you come across a caterpillar. And let's just suppose, for the sake of our illustration, that caterpillar can talk. And you say to the caterpillar, what's up? And he says, not much. And you say, why are you working so hard? And the caterpillar says, because I'm trying to be a butterfly. I want to fly. And you say, because you paid attention in science class a little, listen, caterpillar, you might as well give it up because you're not going to fly. And the caterpillar says, what's up with that? And you say, listen, if you want to become a caterpillar, you've got to go through this process called metamorphosis. And you explain to Mr. Caterpillar that metamorphosis is when you die. And unless he dies, he won't become a butterfly. Richie, why that illustration? Well, it makes me think of 2 Corinthians 3 when Paul says, And we who with unveiled faces are being transformed into his likeness. That word transformed is changed, is metamorphosis. So we need to go through a metamorphosis. We need to go through a death. We need to be changed. We're in a series called As Is, and we've been saying that God accepts us as is. As is means that we're damaged goods, that we have stains, that we have flaws, that we're not perfect, that we've all sinned. And we keep using Romans chapter 5 that says, while we were still sinners, while we were still damaged goods, while we were still as is, in the midst of our flaws, in the midst of our stains, God accepts us as is. And we've been looking at a few biblical characters, and there's a lot. Because the Bible is nothing but as-is characters. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was, was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. Jonah ran from God. Samson was something else. And the Samaritan woman had been married and divorced five times. So in the midst of as is, we've been illustrating that God wants to take us and he accepts us as is and he wants to transform us into as his. God wants to change us. He doesn't want to leave us as is. He wants to transform us, that metamorphosis to change us to as his. So how does he do that? How does God do that? How does that metamorphosis take place? So today I want to focus more on the as his as opposed, as opposed to the as is. We'll do one more as is next week. But I want to talk about as his. What does that mean? And to illustrate, let's start with a question. It's really a volatile question. It's really a good question. It's a very important question. It's a question that's been asked through the ages It's a question that will continue to be asked. We wrestle with the question. We wrestle even more with the answer. And you want to know what's interesting in our text today. (laughs) The question doesn't even get asked. Oh, it's implied. It's there. That's why Jesus answers it, but the question has never been asked. 
Nicodemus in John 3 comes to Jesus with a question. And Jesus knows the question, which is why Jesus answers the question. Here's what we read in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, there's no question, but in reply, because Jesus knows there's a question, even though it wasn't said out loud, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, again, think about that answer. Why would Jesus answer that way if there was no question that's been implied? Nicodemus comes with a purpose. Nicodemus has something on his mind. Nicodemus has this question. And again, it can be asked in so many different ways, but it's the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get into the kingdom? What do I need to do to get to heaven? What is my part in inheriting eternal life? How does God change me from as He is to as His? Same question no matter how you ask it. But Nicodemus asks it and Jesus answers it. And we still ask the same question. And you've had people ask you that question. What do I need to, need to do to be saved? We can't argue with the question. But we argue with the answer. We have no difficulty with the question, but we have difficulty with the answer. We want to know the requirements, but we don't agree on what is necessary. But Jesus still answers the question. Again, how do I get into heaven? What must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to get to heaven? What do I need to believe to get to heaven? Where do I go to church to get to heaven? Do I have to go to church to get to heaven? When all is said and done, when I die, how do I get to heaven? Same question, no matter how you asked it. The rich young ruler asked that question. He came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know, obey all the commandments. And he said, I've done that. Which is what our answer would be. We've been obedient. And Jesus said, go sell all your possessions. And he went away. Interesting. That messes with our theology because our theology says if you follow all the commandments, if you're obedient, then you get to heaven. But that's not how that conversation played out. Remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man and he just wanted to see Jesus and he climbed up in a tree. Jesus goes to his house that day and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. And that's what we want. We want salvation to come to our house. Nicodemus said, you know, I'll give back and I'll sell and I'll pay. And we're like, mm, not interested in that part. Just tell me about salvation. Same question, no matter how you ask it. And usually when the question is asked, the emphasis is on I. What must I do? What is my part? Because we want the emphasis to be on us. I know Jesus accepts me as is. But what do I need to do after that? So we put the emphasis on I. 
What is my part? Surely if I pray enough, surely if I give enough, surely if I go to church enough, surely if I do enough good things, if I do these things, surely I will get to heaven as if it is I responsibility, my responsibility. Here's how Jesus responds in John 3 verse 5. He says, I tell you the truth. Let me give you some other translations. I assure you, I tell you for certain, believe me when I say, I guarantee this truth, most assuredly, so be it. In the original Greek language, if you're interested, Jesus answers and says, Amen, Amen, I tell you. The only time the word Amen is used in the Gospels, it comes from the mouth of Jesus. And in John's Gospel, he repeats the Amen, Amen 25 times. Jesus says this is truth. You can bank on this. I assure you. I guarantee you. This is what you need to know. And you need to know something about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. I don't know what you know about Pharisees, but God would say something and the Pharisees would think, God needs my help. So they would add to what God said. If, Jesus, if God said, don't work on the Sabbath, the Pharisees would say, well, that's not very clear. God needs my help. And so they would define and add all of these extra lists and laws to what God had said to clarify for God. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Some of the strongest words that came out of the mouth of Jesus were what he said to the Pharisees. You should read Matthew 23. Let me give you some of the verses in Matthew 23. Jesus says, Do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is done for men to see. You clean the outside, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers. That's how Jesus felt about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And yet, here we have Nicodemus, one of those Pharisees, coming to Jesus. And it appears he's very sincere. It appears he wants to know the answer to the question. It appears he knows something in what I believe is missing. It appears he realizes there's got to be something more. Which is interesting. That a legalistic, pharisaical person would come to Jesus. And Pharisees still exist. God will say something and they'll say, yes... But you also need to, it's obvious that Nicodemus knows Jesus. It's obvious he's been watching Jesus. It's obvious he knows what Jesus has been doing. Because he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one can perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. We've been watching you. We've seen your miraculous signs. It's obvious you're from God. We've been watching you, which is interesting. I wonder what they've been watching I wonder what they've witnessed. I wonder the miracles that they've seen. But obviously, they've been watching. And Nicodemus comes at night. He's curious, but he's not foolish. He knows what the other Pharisees 
might think. He knows what the religious folks will think if this Pharisee comes to Jesus. So he comes at night. He comes in secret. After all, he is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's high up, but he's keeping this conversation down low. Maybe he comes at night to spend more time with Jesus. I mean, during the day, the crowds are all around Jesus. Maybe at night, the crowds aren't so thick, and he's thinking, maybe I can get through. Maybe I can get in. Maybe I can have this conversation. I mean, can you imagine if he was to go back to the ruling council and say, hey, I had a little chat with Jesus. They'd be like, you, you did what? Yeah, and I had this chat with Jesus, and we've got this salvation thing all messed up. We've really missed the boat on this salvation thing. He would be ridiculed. He would be disbarred. He would be mocked. He might be killed for even having a conversation with Jesus. So he comes at night. And Jesus doesn't mess around. Jesus gets right to the point. Jesus doesn't engage in small talk. He's not interested in idle talk. Jesus gives an answer and he says... Let me find my slide. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born from above. So in this conversation, as we will see, Jesus wants Nicodemus to know and he wants us to know, it's not about you. It's about God. Salvation is not what you do. It's about what God does. It's not about your works. It's about the work of God. Listen, church, Pharisees still exist. So I will say, don't be so arrogant to think that your good works, your good deeds, your accomplishments will earn you a spot in heaven. Not everybody who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, not everybody that uses the secret password, master, master. Not everybody's going to get in. And so Jesus wants Nicodemus, and he wants us to know, it's not about you. The Pharisees thought if you look right, talk right, act right, do right, believe right, go to the right church, surely you don't believe God's going to let you into heaven because you were right. Because in the midst of our as-is-wrongness, Jesus came. Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to be saved, if you want to know what it takes, you must be born again. That's it. There's the answer. Straight from the words of Jesus. This is truth. I guarantee you, you can bank on it. Amen and amen. Jesus says you must be born again. This is what you need to know. Nicodemus, he's a little respond. He, he, he doesn't know how to respond. He's a little confused. We read in John 3, 4, Nicodemus asked, How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. He's not being crude. He's just trying to understand. And so Jesus clarifies. He says, Hey, Nicodemus, it's not about your first birth. It's about your second birth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, again, amen, amen. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. 
You should not be surprised my saying you must be born, your translation may say, again. A more accurate translation is you must be born from above. That same word is used in John 3.31 when it's in reference to Jesus, the one who comes from above. Same word. You must be born from above. Jesus tells Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. That's your first birth. Spirit gives birth to spirit. That's your second birth. Jesus says your first birth is your human birth. Your second birth is your spiritual birth. And you know what's interesting? We really don't have anything to do with either birth. I don't know that I've ever talked to a mom who delivered a baby who said, let me tell you what my baby did. I mean, I was struggling, but my baby turned, and my baby, and my baby, and my baby, and my baby. If it hadn't been for my baby, I... No mom ever says that. You have nothing to do with your first birth. And Jesus says you don't have anything to do with your second birth. It's what God does. He takes us from as is, and through a new birth, He changes us into as is. The second birth is what God does. Humans give birth to humans. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Want to know what our part is? Because that's what we're interested in. Well, yes, but Richie, we've got... No. It's what God does. Want to know what our part is? We accept it. We accept it. Richie, you mean I don't have to do anything? It's not what I said. It's not what Jesus said. In fact, if you read the rest of this context, if you read the rest of this conversation, if you read probably the most quoted verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever, want to know our part, whoever believes. Oh, so we do have to do something. Why is it we feel so obligated to put the emphasis on what we do? Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what God's asked us to do, believe. God says, I want you to believe. Jesus died on the cross. I want you to believe. I paid the cost. I want you to believe. Believe. John uses that word believe in his gospel, the gospel of John, 98 times to show us that it's important that we believe. And that word believe is our part of the salvation. We're called to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're called to believe that He died on the cross. We're called to believe that He shed His blood for us. We're called to believe that He paid our sin debt. And the result of our belief is God takes us from as is to as His. God accepts us right where we are. In the midst of our sins, in the midst of our flaws, in the midst of our stains, in the midst of being damaged goods, and through a second birth, that metamorphosis... We're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus through a second birth. He transforms us. John chapter 1. Jesus came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but children born of God. That's the as His. 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His, grace, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Transformed, changed through a new birth. A birth again, a birth from above. A birth that happens at baptism. Jesus says, you want to know how to get into the kingdom? 
This is how you get into the kingdom. And Jesus says, it's not what I'm saying. It's not what this church says. It's what I read in Scripture. No one, no one, no one can enter the kingdom unless he's born from above. As is to as his. You want to know how to be saved? You want to know how to stand right with God? You want to know how to get into heaven? It starts with a new birth. There's only one way to get in. It involves a new birth. There's only one way to get in, and it's through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's not about what we pay to get in. It's about what He paid. We sing a song, number 376. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Listen, folks, I'm sorry. I don't read that you pray a prayer to get in. I don't read that you attend the right church to get in. I don't read that you do enough good deeds to get in. I read that God takes us from as is to as his through a new birth. Now, remember how we started this sermon with that caterpillar? You don't have to know much science to know about caterpillars and butterflies. And you don't have to know much science to know about metamorphosis. So you should be able to understand the only way to change your life. You can't change your life. But through a metamorphosis, through a new birth, once you die to yourself, is what Scripture says. Once you're born again, God takes us. It's the first step from as is to as His. We read in Romans 6, 3 and 4, Therefore we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in our new way of life. You want a new way of life? It involves a new birth. Baptism transforms us. Baptism changes us. Baptism gives us a start to a new way of life. This, this liquid grave up here is the beginning of our transformation. It's a new birth. So we read in Titus chapter 3, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Listen, folks, God wants to transform us into the likeness of His Son. He wants to take us from as is to as His. And He does that by transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. Listen, baptism is not something we made up at this church. Well, you know those Church of Christ people, they believe in baptism. We do. But it's what we read in Scripture. Baptism's not something you do to join this church. I don't know if I even like the Church of Christ. <laughs> Baptism's what we do to be joined with Jesus so that he, he can begin to transform us and we can be transformed into the likeness of Jesus as is to as His. So... We talk about the steps of salvation, which I don't read in Scripture. There's not steps of salvation. 
But there is a response we can do. We can accept Jesus Christ. We can believe in Jesus Christ. And we can express that faith in what we believe that Jesus did by confessing and going into a liquid grave. Again, you're not doing it to make us happy. You're not doing it to join this church. You're doing that because from the words of Jesus, you must be born from above. That's why we teach baptism. So God wants to transform you. If you've been thinking about baptism, let me tell you this. Anyone can baptize you. Your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa. The person baptizing you doesn't have any powerful effect on what you're doing. This water doesn't have any powerful chemical to wash your sins away. But what's in your heart, you believe. You believe that Jesus Christ came to die for your sins. That's where the miracle of metamorphosis is taking place in your heart. And if you've never done that, you can talk to me, you can talk to one of our elders, you can talk to anybody on our staff, you can talk to anybody on the pew that you're sitting on. Everyone would be glad to help you understand baptism. We're going to sing a song at this time. So let's stand and praise God.